0: so that we can read it and then you can sit down instead of up, down, up, down. Um, but Psalm 77 weds itself well with the readings that we just read. The context of the written word here is from Second uh, Kings 25 with the great reminder also in the New Testament of Jesus calling those who labor back to him. Hear now from Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, of my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart then my spirit made a diligent search will the lord spurn forever and never again be favorable has his steadfast love forever ceased are his promises at an end for all time has god forgotten to be gracious has he in anger shut up his compassion then i said i will appeal to this to the years of the Uh, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your mighty might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the water saw you, O oh God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, and the skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning lighted up all the world, and the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footsteps were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of moses and aaron here ends our psalter lesson and this is the word of the lord you may be seated have you ever had a restless soul have you ever been distressed to the point of every thought of your mind being consumed by what had distressed you i think of parts of my own life perhaps there are some even here today that could empathize Uh, disagreement with a spouse that leaves you awake at night. Perhaps you had trouble in school and you are waiting for your parents to find out there and after and the great judgment that shall come forth quite quickly. Perhaps it was the death of a loved one. As you lay awake at night, you just wonder how you will go on without them. Perhaps it's a big move back to Illinois or an exam that keeps you awake. It's often perhaps a difference of severity of what keeps us awake at night. I had an inordinate fear of snakes as a boy, and I sometimes laid awake in my bunk bed wondering if those snakes could climb ladders. We are sometimes in distress, and in that distress we have sleepless nights with restless souls. The author of this psalm had a sleepless night as he penned it for us. There was no peace in Jerusalem. Asaph, the author, was overwhelmed by the passage that we read in 2 Kings of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple therein. But who was this Asaph? Asaph was the only man in the scripture whose name actually itself perhaps became a title. Asaph was the chief song person for the court of David. He was the one that led the people of God in worship. He was the Elton John of Jerusalem. He was well-known, loved, and liked. So much so that his name became a title. The Asaphs after Asaph. Kind of like Wesley, perhaps, in The Princess Bride, who takes on the name The Dread Pirate Roberts. There are many Asaphs before and many Asaphs after This Asaph. And so we know that this Asaph, the Asaph before us, was long after his namesake, the one who would see himself watch the temple fall. But what we know about this Asaph, he knows and says what he thinks. What was laid upon his heart comes out quite quickly. He has the heart of many of us here from the Midwest. He says what he thinks. When he has an issue with God, when he sees that there is problems running amok within his own life, within his own country, within his own temple, he pours out his heart to God. He describes his doubts, his struggles, his questions. He wonders about the inability of his current problems and the answers found therein. He is a struggling man before a God that can deliver him in the same way christians can be relieved here today we can be relieved because we do not have to have it all together even in the midst of the season that is before us that is full of joy hope and love we can be honest about our own struggles our own trials and tribulations our own distress sometimes christians like to play pretend I see a congregation well-dressed, well-suited in their right mind before me. You play the part well. You have a pastor dressed in a full suit. We play the part well. But we need not pretend today. Many of you perhaps had sleepless nights. And how do you respond to those sleepless nights? Well, when your soul is restless, call out to God. When your soul is restless, call call out to God. In the first three verses, we see that Asaph calls out to God with a cry of distress. He does not hunker it down and stuff it deep with inside himself. He cries out to God, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God. He will hear me. Asaph cries out to God in a similar manner as Christ himself cries out to the Father as he is in Gethsemane. He cries out to God, calling for him to intervene, to uh, come and save his people, redeem his people from their current destruction. He cries out with all that he is. He comes before his God with a great cry, a great plea. With sorrow, pain, and anguish, he comes to God in prayer. All that he is is offered to him, his own God. And this cry, this cry as the destruction of the temple is before him. The word used for God in this passage is to remind us of his great, great uh, uh, sovereignty over all of the creation. He uses the name of God in a way that accounts back to God's great work in creation itself. He does it strategically to remind himself of the God that he approaches. But if you notice as the passage goes on in this cry, in verse 2, it continues in that he gives continued good advice for us. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord in the night. My hands are stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. I come before him. In that cry and plea, he seeks the Lord. When I was a little boy I at least when I was a middle schooler I guess that's not too little but when I was a middle schooler my favorite verse was James 4a to come near to God and he will come near to you draw near to God and he will draw near to you I I memorized that verse intentionally because I had an Asaph like experience as a child I often was dismayed I often was distressed uh, distressed and because of it I thought maybe I should memorize a pithy quick verse to remind me of what I am called to do as God's child. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Seek out God in your trouble. Cry out to God when you are distressed. But not only crying out just random things. I mean, there are ideas of how to cry out. Asaph provides for us a template in verse 3. He does not merely want to be consoled, though it is a great virtue to ask for consolation from the Lord. He desires the Lord to provide resolution, to bring about an end. His crying out to God is not merely, make me feel better, Lord, but bring about resolution to all that ails me, all the problems that I have. Sometimes when we cry out to God, we merely cry out to be consoled. But as believers, as children of God, you have the great opportunity to come before him and ask for resolution. Fix this, O Lord. Not only for my mere sake, but for your glory. What's interesting in verse 3, though, as he continues to tell us how and ask how God can do this, we are reminded of his own frailty. When I remembered God, I moaned. When I meditated, my spirit faints. You see the humanity of Asaph here. He is not practicing what he has previously preached to us in the first few verses. As he has given us humble, great advice, he continues to struggle by not taking his own advice. Isn't that the life of the believer here? You know your Bible. You know what God commends, commands, and calls us to but we are often like Asaph slow to implement the very virtues that the Lord has given to us within his scripture. Even this morning you knew what you ought to do, but sometimes it is difficult to do it. Asaph is giving us the classic example of do as I say and not as I do. Common phrase in the Edinburgh house growing up. Do as I say not as I do. Maybe you've heard it from your own parents. Do as I say, not as I do here. I heard it from my preaching professor, who's also my pastor, when I saw him break his own preaching methods that he told me to maintain in his own sermons. Do as I say, not as I do. Asaph, in his own weakness, sees his own frailty and his own inability to do what he knows God has offered. We often struggle with the same, but we are to be reminded of what Matthew Henry says. Days of trouble must also be days of prayer. When we recognize that we are not living up to what the Lord has commanded to us in Scripture, that is when we go to the Lord in prayer. When we are troubled by the world around us, whether that be locally within our homes, within our communities, or society itself, days of trouble must be days of prayer. Henry goes on to say, especially when God seems to have withdrawn from us, we must seek him until we find him. We must pursue after him with all that we are, crying out in our distress. When your soul is restless, call out to God. We are not only, though, to call out to God in distress, we must also call out to God with a searching heart. We see this outlined quite uh, sincerely in verses 4 to 9. In verse 6, it says this, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent Search. You see, in this passage, we are now entering from day to night as Asaph now ponders his problems before his God. The wakeful night, the dreaded night, where your mind does not turn off and you lay there awake. Everyone in this room has experienced it for various reasons. Whether that be test exams or marital disputes, whether it be a fractured relationship, you've had restless nights. How do you approach those restless nights? Well, Asif gives me better advice than I usually give myself. I, on restless nights, try to almost meditate, just focus on my breathing, and I'll finally fall asleep, empty my mind of all that ails me. But Asif does something different. He reminds himself of songs of old. He reminds himself of songs, perhaps sung in the temple that was just destroyed. And the reminder of those songs would have drawn Asaph's mind elsewhere, back to greater times. I know songs that whenever I hear them, it reminds me of an experience that I had. My mom has the same ailment as I do and she connects songs to life. And that's what Asaph is doing. He's reminded of previous experiences drawn to the temple courts. As he hums and sings the songs that are drawn up in his mind, he remembers the smells of the temple. He remembers the scripture reading. He remembers the busyness of the temple. He remembers the inner courts. He's drawn back to a time where he saw that God came through for his people, a time where they were blessed by him. In the Edberg home, we love to sing, at least the Edberg side of the family loves to sing, it's, a, it's something I inherited from my own mother. My mom hums when she does everything, and I couldn't escape it. I hum. I hum, and, and my particular goal within my family is to see how long it takes to get the whole family humming, to get the whole family singing. I think it irritates my own wife as she tends to sing songs that she doesn't like because once the song is in the air, you cannot keep it from the family try to teach my own family Psalm 103c in the new Trinity Psalter hymnal. Just sing it a few times, start playing the tune on a piano, and it will hum throughout your head. It'll remind you back to what Asaph talks about here. He remembers the past. He remembers the past through the music of the past. He remembers the faithfulness of God, pondering what God had done for his people. But that pondering leads to questions. You see the rhetorical questions in verse 7 to 9. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at, at an end for all of time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he, in anger, shut up his compassion? These are common questions when we are distressed. Common questions. Has the Lord forgotten me? Why, Lord, have you put me through this current Circumstance. Common questions. Will you be faithful to see me through? Well, we all know the answer, I think, as believers. You know that each of the answers, and I think Asaph knows them well, the answer is no. But why then does Asaph ask these questions? I believe Asaph is trying to prod God to reveal that faithfulness that he had once revealed to his people. Lord, we're struggling. We beg you for your, your presence now with us. Your glory has departed the temple. It is no longer here. The bronze has been stripped out. The gold carried off to Babylon. In all intents and purposes, you have been robbed by the Babylonians. You have been conquered. Have you forgotten us now that you are carted off to another land? It's a not-so-subtle prod from God to demonstrate His favor, love, grace, and compassion now in the midst of trial. A prod to remind ourselves as well as to plea with God when we are in need. So in other words, when we are called to seek God, we can do so within the confines of His people. We can search for God. We can ask the hard questions We can read the scripture, we can go to our elders, we can go to our spouse, we can ask. You can come to your pastor in distress and ask, seeking God that he may be found. Seeking God that he may be found. When your soul is restless, call out to God, not only in distress or with a searching heart, but also, lastly, call out to God in light of his past works, We see this in the whole second half of the passage. We see the past works of God reinforcing the faithfulness of God even to Asaph here. I will remember your deeds, O Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your works and meditate on on all your mighty deeds. I will remember Genesis as you, by the word of your power, spoke and all things came into being. You are the God that has separated the earth from the sky, the land from the sea. You are the God that has created animals out of nothing and man itself. You are the God that is mighty. Out of nothing there is. You are the all-powerful God remembering his incomparable works even as the works of the Babylonians had undercut the people and destroyed their country the works of God are truly incomparable William Gurnall compares the struggling Christian to being that like a hound dog who has lost his prey what does the hound dog do when he loses his prey what does a bloodhound do It turns backwards in order to go back and find that scent that he had lost and then pursue it with an even louder cry than before. That is the life of the Christian. Keep going back until you find and remember the faithfulness of God and continue to pursue it even as your temple is destroyed around you. You're reminded even in the works of God, the nature of God. As you see his great works and the crowning jewel of creation with humanity itself, you see the nature of our God. You see it as uh, Asaph says, I will ponder all your works and deeds. Your way, O Lord, is holy. You are the great God. The works of God remind us of the nature of God, which reveal the holiness and goodness and trustworthiness of God. Our God is a God, in other words, who redeems and saves his people. And that idea of redemption comes close to home for a people that had just lost everything. And so where does Asaph's mind go in this idea of redemption? It goes back to when the Lord redeemed his people for the first time, to the Exodus, the works of God, remembering what God had done for Moses and Aaron and the Israelites as he had led them out of Egypt you see, the Israelites were called by God to celebrate the Passover yearly, to remember regularly the works of God in their lives. And even as they lose the Passover, as they lose the temple, as they lose their religion in one, in one way, they are recalling God's great work of redemption. The idea of God saving his people, ransoming them from their sins and drawing them to the promised land itself the mighty works of God. You see the artistic language within the passage, the idea of the Lord leading his people out by a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. God leading and separating the sea so much so that the land that the Israelites walked on was dry, not even to leave footprints behind them. God having the power to save his people from certain destruction from the Egyptians will also save his people from the Babylonians who will also save his people from their sin as we stand here today. The grandeur of a God that saves his people by destroying the gods of Egypt. A God that has power even over Egypt and Babylon. Going back, and remembering, in times of distress, God's great work in our lives. So on those wakeful nights, remember the good times, the times of spiritual delight. Remember the birth of your child. The moment you held them first in your hands. The the moment they were baptized and you made vows and the congregation was there with you. Remember the time that you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That moment of conversion. Recall upon the faithfulness of God drawing you out of your sin to Christ himself. Remember your baptism. Even if you're baptized as a baby. Remember your baptism as the Lord washed away your sin. Remember your wedding dates where you made a vow before God before people of the spouse that you'd marry. Remember your ordination dates, a day that is more delightful to me than my own birthday, the day that the Lord had called me to service in his kingdom. Remember, recall God's past faithfulness. Because in times of restlessness, when you call it to God and recall his faithfulness, there is comfort there by remembering the past works of God. You'll be like the bloodhound that finds his way. Sometimes, though, God seems distant. And in those times, we do well to call out to him. If you here today are apart from Christ, who do not know uh, him personally, these wakeful nights are nights of dread. You lay awake without any resolve, without any hope, without any comfort. Apart from Christ, there is no one on those wakeful nights to comfort you. There's little comfort little resolve. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart, but call out to him. For those in Christ, perhaps a majority here, you might feel like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. If you've not read it, you should. Christian, on his way as he is passing death, loses all his assurance. He's passing through the lake of death, wondering if he'll go back to the city of destruction. And in that moment of death, He is rescued from the lake and He is drawn into the celestial city. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you have no assurance of your own salvation. Maybe you fail to see the countenance of God even on this nice Christmas season. In those times, rest assured that as you cry out to God with the same questions of Asaph, that He is right alongside you offering you his hope you are not alone but you are as sons and daughters of god have a god that delights with you even as he seems to be as distant as a million galaxies he is beside you in your pain when you are in distress when your soul is restless call out to him pray with me Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. And as children of the Most High God, we offer ourselves to you. Give us courage and wisdom to call out in our distress. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.